Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, what's up, guys? So, I'm so happy and so glad to present you with this awesome interview with Matt Redcross. Matt Redcross is an awesome director, writer, and creator, right? He has also directed music videos for Coldplay and the most famous Rolling Stones, right? He has also ventured off and did a lot of movies as well, written a lot of stuff as well. And he also got to do this awesome, amazing documentary, which is out of his realm about the Kings. Let's be honest, the four Kings, right? With Marvin Hagler, Hitman Hearns, Roberto Duran, and Sugar Ray Leonard, right? So we also dive into doing all doing this documentary and and other stuff in this amazing interview. So without further ado, Matt Rycross. Welcome to the MMA Lab, the hottest MMA podcast out there. I'm your host, Ian Butler, MMA veteran, Gore Kickboxing veteran, Grappling World Champion. For all the hottest details in MMA today, come to the MMA Lab on Belief. All right, cool. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Matt Whitecross, the director of The Kings. The greatest, uh, which I mean, in the fight community, me being a fighter, we call it like the four kings, but it's called the kings, right? Uh, I think I got right. yelled at by one of your guys on Showtime. They're like, it's the kings, Ian, not the four kings. I'm like, all right, it's it is <laughs> it is four guys, but like, yeah, okay, the kings. It's tricky. But, I mean, titles titles are always hard, right? There's always there's always endless debate, and I'm, I always pick the wrong one. I, we had lots of titles for this at different points, but I think the only one that everyone agreed on was the king. So, you know, I think it's a good title. I've gone no, up something. I think it's king. a. I think it's. I think it's a great title. Uh, I. I obviously. Uh, I'm still professionally fighting. I. Uh, boxing is one of my favorites. Uh, these four guys are probably one of my favorites. Uh, the interesting thing is though, Matt, cause you had a great career directing and writing a lot of stuff for Coldplay, Rolling Stones. How did you get in the mix of doing this documentary about fighting? Cause this is like, I don't know if it's like way off course of what you normally do. Like it's completely different. It's a completely different world. Yeah, it's, it's a new step for me. I mean, I, I love watching boxing. I watch the big fights, but I'm not, I'm definitely by no means an expert. So I like, you know, for me, my knowledge growing up was, I was obsessed with Ali right. and then became like super excited by Tyson, but it was the heavyweights really. And I think that's often the way through the years, you know, people become kind of blinded to everyone else. So I didn't know that much about the Four Kings. I kind of, I knew them by name. But right. I didn't know that much about their stories. I've seen probably a couple of fights. I'm sure I must have seen the Hagler-Hearns opening right. rounds. But I think that might, might have been it, right? There was Because I was a little yeah. bit young at that time. And um, yeah, I've, I've ended up doing a lot of music stuff. Not really by design, but I, I gravitated to, uh, towards a lot of musicians. And I actually went to uni with Coldplay. We used to nice. live together. Nice. So that's how that relationship started. So I kind of, every time I think I've finished with music for a bit, then something else comes along that's super tempting. But I, with this, it's funny because I had no way in really other than we made this film about the band Oasis a few years ago. Okay. And it was the same team and they kept on coming back. So there's, there's a British band who's like, which is less well known in the US, I think. But, you know, a few of the songs came across. And uh, so we made this film and we all got on really well. And it was the team behind Senna and Amy and the Maradona film. And they kept on coming back and saying, well, we have this new idea and this other new idea. And each time either the timing was off or it wasn't, didn't feel right for me. And then uh, one of the producers, James, came to me and he said, look, I don't know if this is your thing or not, but we've got access to these four guys who are considered amongst the greatest boxers of all time, the greatest right. fighters of all time. Uh, but they're less well known than some of the heavyweights, certainly internationally. So right. would you be interested? And I, I was like, well, I don't really have a way in. You know, maybe it's, am I the right person for it? And he said, well, our pitch on it really is to try and talk about the bigger picture. So these four guys, is their lives are amazing. They're rich. They have dizzying highs and dizzying lows. Right. But also we want to talk about the backdrop. We want to talk about politics. We want to talk about, you know, the social backdrop, the, all the, the upheavals. We want to talk about civil rights. All these things that they became symbols of in a way. 
Um, and that really hooked me. And then I was like, okay, great, because then I've got to weigh in. And sometimes it's nice to come into something as a, you know, a little bit ignorant as someone, as an outsider, you know, sure. coming in. And, and I wore that on my sleeve. I was like, look, I'm going to need help through this. I'm going to talk to as many people as possible, read as much, watch as much as I can. And then hopefully by the end of that process, you become an expert. But that's, that's, the, that's the dream. But then you go, you go, I meet people like you. I meet all these people that we, we met around New York and we went to California and we went to Vegas and we flew around. We met, uh, we flew uh, Roberto Duran over to the UK to hang out with us. Nice. And then you get to know a little bit more and then you hear it from the people. So really, we're just trying to allow them to tell their own stories. No, it's, it's amazing because I honestly, um, so I fight for Bellator, which is on Showtime. And then I was watching the fights and then. Next thing you know, this preview came up of the Kings and I'm like, oh my God. Like I, I, I threw my, my wife was like, what are you so excited about? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like they just did, like they just did a special on the 4K, a documentary, like, you know? So like, I am truly excited because I told my, I explained to my wife, like there's so many movies about like Roberto Duran solo, right? Or yeah. if there's so many movies about Sugar Ray Leonard solo, right? But I think like true fight fans that really get into it, um, we know them as the Kings, right? As the four Kings, but nobody has really brought them all together, right? And I think this is probably honestly sure. the first one that actually did it to correlate like how special it was that they were all around at the same time and it was unbelievable, right? Yeah. Like, like it, 100%. It was, like it was huge, you know? So like, I'm extremely excited for this to come oh, good. Yeah. Well, look, I, can't, I can't wait for you to see the whole thing. I mean, I, for me, it was like, yeah, I think it's, I always considered it a little bit like the Avengers, right? You see, you have these amazing individuals. You've got Duran. They've made a film on him. You've got Leonard, right. you know, he's, he's participating in these. But then the idea of having them all together, that was, for me, I was like, okay, if we do it right, that can be like the Avengers. That can be like four of them coming together. Then you suddenly it pays off all that build up because there's always a danger when you're working on anything. It's like, well, do people already know the stories? Have we, is there any point in making something? And we had it on the music documentaries as well. It's like, well, I know this time, I know these stories, but do other people just like a new generation, do they need right. to be introduced to it again? And I definitely felt like almost uniquely, these four guys, they fought each other nine times. Yep. They fought each other. They won, they lost, you know, it was kind of unheard of. And I think, in the era now of boxing where people a little bit more wary they're more cagey there's more money involved obviously right. they don't always like to fight the best right so there's because it's dangerous to fight the best you might lose it is and back in those days you know they fought and sometimes they lost but then they came back and there was something kind of remarkable about that i don't know if it's a an era that will never happen again or not maybe maybe these things are cyclical maybe that's maybe it's gone forever it's it's really funny because you said that like you're not a you're a boxing fan, but you're not really like a enthusiast boxing, but like you just broke down that something that uh is really big in the industry right now. You know, like uh if somebody takes a loss, right? Like it they say they can be the end of the career, but it's only one loss, you know, like and then they're afraid to fight the bet, like and they take warm-up fights at the warm-up fights and and then they're very strategic and business yeah. oriented of like, who do I fight? Like, and, and it goes on in the world of fighting today, honestly, sure. like, but back then I, I, dude, it was different. Like those guys actually fought for like pride and like legacy. They didn't care about the dollar signs. There wasn't even that much money around, right? Like when they were fighting. Um, but like, uh, they actually fought for like the pride of their country with Roberto Duran and having like parades after he beat Sugar Ray Leonard in like one of the most awesome fights of the century, you know, and, and he was praised for like, that's, that's what they actually like lived for and fought for. Like they didn't care. They wanted to actually fight the best of the best, you know, like yeah. I, 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 I feel like, uh, I don't know, like some of the real fighters, like, uh, they will actually fight the best of it, but I think it, it's it's kind of sad. It's kind of dying down. Like it's so it's such a business oriented situation. Yeah. <laughs> like like with managers. Like I, it's uh when I got in a fight game, it was totally like I want to be the best. And then when I turned pro, um, you can probably notice with co-play, like when you finally learn like the industry of the business, you kind of find out how dirty it is. Right. Yeah. And stuff like that. Sure. And you don't, and you see all the stuff behind the scenes of like, Oh man, like they're paying this guy this much. And like, how did he get that? And like, 
Like, oh, we really did all the hard work. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, so like, it's, uh, it's very interesting that you really brought that up. <laughs> but it's funny. It's funny. I mean, I think there's kind of, there's different levels of corruption and things going on in most industries, right? I remember there was one of my favorite directors and writers was a guy called Bruce Robinson. He, wrote, he made a, a film called With Nell and I uh, that was, was like a big cult film in the UK. Anyway, I remember he, he got to make his first US film and it was with Uma Thurman. And he was there for, they've been filming for a few, few weeks, I think. And he was, it was with John Malkovich and Andy Garcia, back when Andy Garcia was like the biggest star in the world. Right. It was going great. And they were, every day they were making, I can't, I can't remember the exact figures, but every day they were, they were finishing on time and you know, everything was going according to the budget. And then this guy from the studio comes over, apparently, and he says, like, I'm here to, to make sure that you guys are behaving yourselves. You're not spending too much money. I'm going to go through all your books, right? I'm going to check the accounts. And they said, yeah, fine, if you want, but, you know, we're doing it. We're doing great. So he disappears into a caravan for a week. And then I probably got the figures all wrong. But basically he comes out and he says, I think you guys are like 200 grand over. And they said, no, 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 no. If anything, we're under. He said, no, no, you're 200 grand over. And they're like, well, how'd you figure that out? And he says, well, I get paid 200 grand a week. So you got to pay me. So now you're 200 grand over and he leaves. It's like the mouth, no way. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that happens in music. And oh, dude. Oh, man. Like with uh, with horrible managers, with uh, like, it's just, it's the same thing. It's the same thing over and over. And I think the rule is that I learned in life, you just, you just got to make sure you put good people around you and stuff like that. And then, you know, some people luck out and finding the right person on the first go, or maybe you have to find a person on like the sixth or seventh round of like going through people, you know, that you finally get your sure. niche and you finally, you know, uh, yeah, man, like it's, uh, you know, and it's then tough. you have to, it's tough. And then you have to actually make sure you got people around you that won't, don't want to, it's something I learned in the fight, but some, somebody that won't want to rip the ladder away from you. Right. Because we all needed like that mentor to come up. Right. That just like, I'm going to yeah. help you. But just some people just rip the ladder for some people for some reason. Like, you know, sure. like, it, you know, There's like, a lot of bitterness. it's difficult. But I, I think, yeah, like you said, I don't know what your team is like around you, but some people just get lucky. Like, I think some people. Duran, <laughs> yeah. Duran was unlucky. He was a street kid. So any money he was yep. given was like, even if it was one hundred dollars, he thought that was a fortune. Then he had Leonard's who landed on his feet. He had this guy. You know, a Maryland uh, lawyer, Mike Trainer, who yeah. just was outside. He was an outsider. He kind of went in. And he was like, "I'm gonna. I, the system's all crooked. I'm gonna make sure you get paid." And the same thing for Tommy Hearns. You know, Tommy Hearns had Manny Stewart. He was the, like a fantastic trainer and manager. Yep. He was, was really. And the same thing with the Petronelli brothers and Hagley. You know, they were all four of them were lucky in different ways. I think Duran was probably the least lucky. He had a few people around him who weren't really looking out for him. But yeah. also, he was his own worst enemy. You know, I don't think he was. You know, he's a little kid. He didn't. He didn't know how to look after money. He just wanted to look after other people. He spent. He, I, I would imagine he gave most of his money away to other people. Exactly. Yeah. That's why I think uh, I always go back and forth to see which one's my favorite because I have a I have a little bit of favorite in all of them. Right. Um, me too. Like, me too. Like Hitman turns like a. Like the, the way he is when he was running and screaming at himself and stuff like that. And then like the flashiness of Sugar Ray Leonard of just like, he's just smooth, you know, Marvin Hagler is just a dude. He's a, just a professionalness. Like, you know, just like wanted to get everything right. And then Roberto Duran, like it's, it's something about combat sports. Cause I never had a good life. I, I, uh, lived in homeless shelters and got adopted and lived through the streets. Like Roberto Duran is like that kid that I can, definitely see myself he's just gritty like you know like uh like he didn't have much to eat like i think like he always after weigh-ins he wanted to go grab a steak or a burger like just something to him is just a lot and i remember going through those days of me fighting oh yeah yeah you know like and i i i that's what i think roberto duran kind of for me like kind of comes out on top for one of my favorites honestly like and, and he fought for his country and he fought for other people and he gave back you know um and just that fight with Sugar Ray Leonard is probably like one of my all-time favorites, you know. Me and too. Then, and then coming back the second time, the No Moss situation oh, of of, uh, of uh, honestly of not just being disciplined and uh, and uh, you just have to remember. I I think like he kind of forgot like he didn't forget where he come from, but just like he was just riding high on all yeah. that right and he kind of forgot like i still need to put in work and sugar ray Leonard just didn't forget and he just put it on him dude true 
like he just had no discipline i think that's no. the thing mm-hmm. is like he was just that was his brilliance and that was his downfall wasn't it he would just like throw himself into these fights he would sit there i remember his one of his his first fight he did at madison square garden we had all these these bits in the, in the show and then we had to cut them out because of time but he he got in there and he was up against a really really like tough fighter and he got there and around the corner he saw this ice cream stand he was like i want an ice cream i want an ice cream that's all he could talk about and i was like i oh, know get yourself ready mentally he's like no i want my ice cream so he went in he's like look I'm going to get rid of this guy in the first round because I just, I need the ice cream. So he went in, just demolished him in like two rounds. Came out, he's like, right, where's my ice cream? No <laughs> way. Most, <laughs> for most fighters, that would be the pinnacle for them, right? That would be the oh, crowning For him, it was like, it was a, an annoyance, like a distraction because he wanted to go and get some sugar. But yeah, no, I, look, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. I think with, I hadn't realized you'd had such a tough upbringing, but I think Roberto said something to me when I was with him. He said, you know, um, Real champions have to come from poverty. Like God only makes champions from poor people. And I think there is that side. It's like, you have to have nothing to lose. Like, why would you, it's not always true, but normally it's true. Like you have to go into the ring thinking you have nothing else, right? Otherwise most people yeah. wouldn't get in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I don't know where I'll probably be at for fighting. Um, I don't know why. Uh, I had coaches that always told me like, I can teach technique. I can teach you how to throw a jab. I can teach you how to fight, but I can't teach you heart and I can't teach you courage. That has to come from somewhere way beyond, way beyond your upbringing of how you, like, you know, like it's just, I can't teach that, you know? Um, and I think Roberto Duran was definitely that guy and I just think that like some of his downfall, like you said, was his discipline. Um, one of my favorite uh, rest of all time was Jordan Burroughs. He said, uh, he's like, be disciplined or be disciplined. And that's how Roberto Duran was. He came in, he had to cut like 60 pounds for the second Sugar Ray Leonard fight, for crying out loud. Like, you know, he was so overweight. He was huge. He was huge. They would would cry. They would feed him little bits of lemon. That was all they could give him. And he would cry and then he'd hide. (laughs) Like a little kid, he'd hide pokes underneath his his bed. And people would sneak him food, like all his entourage would sneak him food. Oh, my God. Awesome. (laughs) He would even even ask people to come into his room so he could watch them eat. Because even if he couldn't eat, he wouldn't want to watch someone else eat. That's the mentality. Oh, man. Oh, man. I don't know how you do it. It's a discipline thing. And plus in the fight world, if you miss weight, your opponent gets 15 or 20% of your paycheck. So that's a huge plus too. Um, and, and, and plus like for me, like when I'm in those moments of like dieting and stuff like that, like uh, it's weird. Like when you're feeling that hunger, it kind of reminds you that like you're working for something and you have a date coming up and stuff like that. Like it's a, maybe it's a sickening kind of thing. Like I, I think all fighters are kind of crazy in the head cause you're going in there fighting somebody else. So like maybe that's part of the sick little dark part that like we all have. And, and some people are different, you know? So like, um, but I would say like through go, going through a lot of fighters and talking to like wrestlers, stuff like that, that like a lot of them have developed, eating disorders you know as well you know just because like i had to lose a whole bunch of weight i had to do that and then like like the roberto duran ice cream thing like you know like it's just they always are looking at like dude i'm gonna gorge right after this fight because i lost so much weight and then in hindsight you have to do this all over again in the next three months or two months you know like you know so like yeah yeah yeah. like some some people actually start themselves you know like and i think the higher people, like the boxers today, like the Canelos and the higher guys like myself, like we do have nutritionists, we do have shelves. You can go at that aspect and actually live a healthy, like the Bernard Hopkins of the day that just not out of shape. They're just, it's a lifestyle. That's how some of those guys have to be, you know? Um, So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but obviously Roberto Duran, like uh, some guys are just like, if they made it, they're just fat sitting on a beach and just eating yeah. the they can because they're like, they made it, you know, they're a Hall of Famers. They made it. They're living life. Just let them just live their life, you know, so. I don't blame yeah. him. I don't blame him. I think he deserves it, you know. He's, <laughs> he deserves he's, it. He's someone who's just a pleasure to be around. You know, he's someone who loves life and he lives in the moment. So even if he's got a fight happening in a month, he's mostly just thinking about today. You know, yeah. he doesn't live in the past. I think the other three live with a lot of regret you know i think they all look back and look to some of the mistakes and wish they could have done things differently maybe some fights maybe their personal lives but with duran duran doesn't care he's just like 
I did what I did. And tomorrow I'll do something different. And he lives very much, seems to live very much in the moment, which I think is a good philosophy in general. No, it's, it's, it's amazing, man. It's amazing. Like I always tell some of my guys, like, think about today. I'm thinking about tomorrow. Like today might never come. Like you just got to think about that, you know? Um, so with all these guys, did you got to spend time with each and every one of them? Well, we spent time with Duran and okay. with Tommy Hans. Okay. Um, so, so the we, it was it's tricky politically, right? I don't know quite how because again, this is not my world. So you probably know more about this than I do. But I know right. with musicians, for example, with the, when we did made a film about Oasis, they're two brothers. Right. So there was a whole thing about like you got to approach them at the same time, and if you approach them the wrong way, one of them's going to say no. And similar thing, I guess, with boxers, with these four, right? They were like, ah, yep. oh, you kind of, you know, we were advised by different people. And they were like, if you, if, if you talk to Leonard, Leonard says, yes, Hagler will say no. But if you go to Hagler first, then maybe Ray will be offended. There was all this thing going on. We just went out to everyone at the same time. We were like, look, we're making this thing. We would love you to be involved. Obviously, it's your story. Mark. I can't, you know, I can't. It's presumptuous of me to say that I want to tell your story. We would love it if you would take part. But obviously, it's, it's your call. So then, as far as I understood, I'd heard that Ray did want to do it. And so we were we all geared up to do this. And I was going to travel out to go and meet him. And then COVID hit. And then by the time we got further on, I was like, well, he's been interviewed so many times. We have lots of material to work with. And then at a certain point, I heard back saying, oh, no, he doesn't want to do it anymore. Now, when you're as big a star as Ray Leonard, I don't know how close any of this information really gets to you. I know that when I've been working with very big bands, like with the Stones, Right. There's about 17 different layers of management before you reach the band, right? right. So maybe it, it may be that Ray changed his mind. It may be that he never even heard about it. I don't know. And then when it came to Marvin, again, we reached out to him and his people and it looked very positive. And then there was a bit of a question about does he want to do it or not? And then we never heard back. And again, we had so much material. I was like, well, look, let's keep on trying. I don't want to give up. But on the other hand, we've got a schedule. We've got to finish it at some point. So it didn't happen, but... And then we had this the terrible news of, of his passing. Passing, so, yeah. Yeah, so I felt, I felt bad. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, we had a lot of material. So it wasn't like, I knew we could make it without them. But, you know, for a selfish point of view, obviously I wanted to meet them both. They're, I'm, they're heroes right. of mine. Right. Yeah, it didn't happen. But we got to spend, hang out with Tommy and with Roberto. No, that's amazing. Uh, I would have been shocked. Like, because I actually thought that, like, like looking at the previews that you guys got, uh, Hagler on because like he does not like media whatsoever. No, no, no it's true. <laughs> it, it's funny though because what was I think what was a shame for me was like I was thinking, and I, maybe this is my arrogance, right? But I was thinking if they could just see what we're feeling, like what we that we really, really care. We love their stories. We really love them. Right. We just want to try and do. You know, obviously we're going to show all the all the sides. We'll show the ups and the downs. But we, but if they could, if I could just get in a room with them, I could tell them why we want to make this and then right. and then it's up to them obviously but uh, you know i you never know whether someone's being advised right or if the message gets through on the other hand i'm sure they get a lot of offers all the time but i i would sometimes listen to some of the podcasts that marvin would turn up on i was like come on man like you're talking to you know like some students <laughs> just like kind of podcasts oh my like, god i was like oh. <laughs> But maybe it's maybe it's just like the innocence of it though too you know maybe. like it's just maybe. it's a kid you know like maybe like like maybe it's not gonna go down i'm just telling my story like you know but like yeah. when it came to like mainstream like he was just like no like this ain't i don't want to he goes i just want to fight that's all i want to do like and, and that's that it reason, right yeah he got screwed over yeah. so many times in his life I understand, right? His suspicion. And I would have a suspicion too. And I think this is at the same time when I'm working with bands as well. It's like, I don't have a God-given right to tell anyone's story, you know? I'm here, I'm like, this limey is coming over to America to try and tell this very important American story. Like, who am I? I wouldn't talk to you. <laughs> so I see it from that point of view as well. On the flip side, like, there was a really great team of us who really, like, lived, breathed this for two years. And we worked every single hour that we had so... On the other, I, I was like, ah, if we could just get in a room with them. But on the other hand, we had so much good material and they've been so eloquent in the past and they've been spoken to so many times. I was like, it's okay. You know, I think I would love to be in a room with them, but we don't need it because we can tell yeah. the story without that. Did you, guys, did you guys also, did you also touch on how he actually got out the game and he went to Italy and just like, 
became a right. movie star out of like out of all those guys, you know, like usually fighters, usually fighters don't know when to quit. Right. And yeah. they're just like, oh, maybe like they kind of tarnished their legacy because they fought past their prime and like, oh, I still want to. I mean, you see fucking Mike Tyson doing retirement fights for crying out loud right now still you know just because they just cannot let it go right they just don't know another life besides that but marvin was like screw this i'm out i'm gonna go go they got out and became an actor in italy of all places you know and no and nobody really talks about it at all like you know no we we get into it at the end of the final episode but it's funny it's funny though because it was like you know, I think if you were plotting like your perfect career arc, he had it. Like he had everything. He just didn't have the fight with Leonard. And that was the fight oh, he no. wanted since he was, you know, before he was even a champion. And he saw Leonard and rightly or wrongly, he saw Leonard as having all the things that he didn't have. And it's a bit like, it reminds me of that movie, you know, Heat with Pacino and De Niro. That bit, do you remember the bit near the end of the film? Basically, he's a bank robber and he's, he's heading yep. off. He's got away. He got away, right? So he's heading right. with his girlfriend, heading to the airport. Marvin had that, like he had the perfect record, but he just had this one last thing. And De Niro's like, I just got to do this one thing, even though he knows, yeah. knows it'll probably destroy him. And I think Hagler had the same thing. He just couldn't let it go. It was just too tempting. And of course, it didn't go his way. And I, I think for, for him, you know, Leonard had humiliated him at various different stages. Even when he had his first championship shot, Leonard was on, you know, on the upper card. Leonard yeah. won. He was given over a million dollars. And yeah. Marvin was fighting for 40 grand and it went to points. And of course, the judges wouldn't go with him and all these. So he had this big chip on the shoulder. I think probably rightly. He just, he thought like the system's against me, which it probably was. And so for him, it was like, imagine if I beat this guy who was my nemesis. Imagine if I beat him and then I beat him on his own terms. and I beat him and I outboxed him. Then people would realize that I was the greatest boxer of all time. No, for sure. For sure. So he had uh. to do it. But it's um, I think it's almost like Greek tragedy with a lot of these guys. It's like the thing that makes them great is the thing that ends up destroying them or destroying their career in the end. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Do you doing your research on all these guys? Do you feel like because I think out of all the four, just like you said, like sometimes like you just luck out by picking the right manager, right, or 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 picking the right trainer, right? Like out of four of them, like one of them was like groomed to be like the fucking golden boy and i was sugar ray fucking littered and i was sugar ray littered out of all of them like you know like i'm pretty sure like something has happened in sugar ray's life for sure for him to become a boxer because like you just like i tell some of these kids that come to me and just like oh you fight on bellator you fight on showtime stuff like that they just think that like that's where you start right and they just see the tvs but it's it's and then honestly i tell them like fucking go to school go be go be a surgeon go be a doctor Go be something else. This this is a hard life. And if you don't love it, right, you gotta love you gotta love the game, right? This is a hard life to get into, you know. Um, like I'm pretty sure Sugar had some of that to get into this profession, but bro, he was picked from probably day one. Like, I mean, think about all the nicknames. They probably have some of the best nicknames in history of sports of like, I mean, marvelous hitman hearns, you know, like hands of stone. But sugar, but sugar, yeah. <laughs> sugar. Out of all <laughs> oh man, he had a, he the was, pro. <laughs> he's, he looks so cool back in the day. As I well. know, dude. <laughs> you can't help but fall in love with him. I mean, and he was the new Ali, right? He was kind yeah. of by Ali. It's like this is my new guy, and yeah, I think. I mean, I can you can see why the others hated him because he seemed to have it all so easily. But I think, you know, from my point of view, overnight success. Never happens overnight. I'm sure you've right. experienced this. Absolutely. Like, exactly like you're saying, you know, Absolutely. you're not looking at all those training sessions, all those mornings where you're getting up at five in the morning, all those times you've taken a bad punch and what are, you know, even just training inspiring. So I, I think with him, you know, he, we get into this later and later on in the, in the show, but he had a lot of demons. He was abused. You know, he's been open about this. He had, right. you know, he, he suffered sexual abuse at the hands of one of his coaches. And he came from a tough background, you know, just because, I think when you, one of the things he says in the show, which I think is exactly right, he said like, you know, I had a tough upbringing. I grew up in the ghetto, but if you compare me to Roberto Duran, anyone on the planet is middle class. That's the thing. So everyone thought I was white collar because, you know, he's slick and oh, he had- I know. 
but that's only because Roberto grew up, I mean, homeless like you, right? So yep. I, he had yep. nothing. Yep. So when you compare someone to someone who's homeless, then we're all rich, right? But I, I think he had it tough. I think he had it tough. And I think his parents, you know, had a, had a pretty tough relationship. You know, I think there was a lot of stuff going on that he had to live through. So I, I don't think any of the four kings had it easy. No, not uh, not for sure. Not for sure. It, it was just funny that uh, I'm glad you touched on that because like I like I said, like something had to happen for him to get in this profession because it's just not it's it's not normal to have somebody hit you in your face like, you know, and try to hurt you in front of millions of people. And let's be honest, like in your underwear, like for like people to see, like, you know, like it's just it's different, you know, Um. So there has to be something inside and something in your background that had to happen. But I think like people pass over that. Like you, you said a beautiful thing overnight success isn't true. Right. Like it had to be a lot of stuff behind it, but it's just, dude, just Ray Lerner was fucking smooth, man. Just like the way his fro always shines. Like yeah, the yeah, dude, yeah, the yeah, the American trunks, the way he moved with his footwork and everything, like he was just glistening, like out there, like warming up in the background. He was just a smooth guy, and on top of it, I think the reason why, like, all these guys are obviously Hall of Famers and legend, but I think reason why he still exists that Leonard can fucking talk really well. Like, that's why yeah. he's a boxing analyst. And that's why he's still in the limelight. He can speak really well. He's highly intelligent. He can break stuff down off of that. And I think that's why out of the four, like, he's kind of he's kind of just up there, like, of, like, yeah. present day of, like, boxing still, you know? 100%. But also, like, he he, he kind of trained to be a public speaker, right? So he taught – he had one of his trainers used to sit there and rehearse with him, rehearse, rehearse with publicists, you know. So he was very shy and quite awkward growing up and he felt very he didn't didn't think he, i mean he's obviously like look at him he's, he's very very good looking but i think back when he was growing up he had like acne he felt very shy didn't couldn't talk to girls and then that came later through the stardom really so i think i think it's something that he had to teach himself so again it wasn't something that just like happened naturally he practiced and he'd practice in front of the mirror and he would rehearse awesome. interviews and yeah stuff. so often when you hear him speak it's funny going through all the footage now he often says the same things again and again and again. And he kind of does it almost like an actor, like performing a, a part brilliantly. But when you talk to Duran, Duran never says the same thing twice, right? He's just like this explosion of energy and ideas and craziness. Duran just says what he wants to fucking say. Like, honestly, like he, he doesn't care. No, he doesn't care. He doesn't care if he's live on TV or anything. No, no, no. He just fucking just says it. It's hilarious. See, some of the stuff he came out with, I was like, wow, are you sure you want to say this? Yeah. Um, no. And then Tommy was the same, you know, he practiced with Jesse yeah. Callum when she was a but he was very, again, very, very shy, was not comfortable in the limelight, did not like that role. And same thing with Hagler. I mean, like you say, he did he distrusted journalists. It was not yep. his not his thing. No. Nope. You no, know, he was and even though I mean, like I would say he was like a, an attractive, like good looking guy, but it I think back then no one had like shaved heads. Now it's normal, right? But he had shaved no. head and a goatee. I think people found him scary, you know. And it's interesting what you said about you know, being someone like the idea of stepping out in front of an arena like a gladiator and getting punched in the face, you've really got to come from nothing to to have that be an option that's attractive to you, right? Or, or the only option to you. And I think there's a section, we have these moments throughout the show where we step away from the main action to the main timeline and just talk about some of the issues that raised, you know, like at the end of episode one, we spend time going, look, why do people fight? Why do people box? Like it's boxing. The violence in boxing comes from us as human beings. It's not like boxing invented violence. Like we were violent, therefore boxing exists. Right. And similarly, it's an expression of these things. And similarly, in episode two, there's a section where Hagler is there and he's about to do his, his uh, championship fight against Alan Minter. And Alan Minter, they became friends in the end, but Alan Minter had, been, had said all these racist things out in the press. And then you see the weigh-in, and there's something so stark for me. You're talking about, you know, a man stepping out in his underpants, you know. Yeah. And, I, and we intercut that footage with um, with the images of slavery and auctions. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And I, I, I see Hagler. Hagler's literally, he takes everything off. So he's naked in front of the whole world in a way in which I've never seen any fighter do. I don't know how typical that is. I guess that's not very usual, but he's there stripped down. You have all these kind of, these fat white guys, rich white guys there prodding him and poking him and weighing him. And that for me is like slavery extending, right? So, so it's very, I think 
there are a lot of things that I love about boxing, but it's very problematic as well. It's very, there's a tough thing to talk about. That is interesting that you brought that up, man. A lot of people don't bring that up at all. So like, all right, just say like, okay, fighters still get naked, but they have at least a tile or the sheet just so they can step on the scale. But a lot of people don't know. Obviously, if you look up, you can see my little Black Lives Matter painting with all the mask and stuff like that. And I'm a huge activist of just like the world in general, just not for Black Lives Matter, but just for people in general, because I love seeing people get treated like people should be treated right um, fairly. Right. Um, a lot of people don't know. So I know the rich history about it. But um, back in the day, they had weigh ins for slavery. Right. And I used to line all these slaves up. Right. And they used to line them up. And that's how they used to auction off slaves so they can show them like how big and strong this guy is. So they can probably mow my crops in the field. Right. right? Or or they have like a skinny guy or a light skin and be like, oh, like he might not be that strong, but I can at least put him inside the house. Right. They can at least work inside the house. Right. Um, Weigh ins now. I mean, obviously, uh. I don't, hopefully we are past that. I don't know if we are, but, uh, but some people are just really fucked up in the world and the world is still a cruel place. Um, the way I look at weigh-ins now, I can really just tell by like their body types of like who has put in the work or not like, Oh, like this guy really, really performed in training camp. He's really put in a lot of work. I can just tell by his body and the way it's formed that like, all right, like he might be conditioned for the fight. Right. Or if somebody misweighed him, like, Oh, this person wasn't disciplined enough. Cause I mean, Going back to Roberto Duran on the discipline part, you can tell, you can tell that he was not ready for some fights, unfortunately. But his heart just took over, obviously, you know, and um, just took over from there. But yeah, man, it's really interesting that you really brought that up, man. Like a lot of people haven't touched on it. Maybe Muhammad Ali has touched on it. That's why he's probably one of my favorite fighters just in general, not just because of what he did like professionally in boxing, but the activism work that he's did outside of boxing. Yes. You know, um, definitely. It- well, he said he, I'm sure there's a quote from him, but I think he said it in the press. I was trying to find the footage where he said it, but I think I wanted to feature it where he said that boxing has the whiff of slavery about it. And I think yeah. there is, there is, it touches on that the idea of kind of gladiators coming out, yep. the entertainment of others and sacrificing everything. And I think it's, it's difficult because on the flip side, boxing, I'm sure, has has helped people. You know, it's been an option when you didn't have any other options. It's trained people. Maybe if you come from violence anyway and you've had violence in your life, maybe it's another way of getting out. I don't know. I don't know. So I, I have, I, I appreciate the, the richness and the beauty of a lot of boxing, but I also see the issues and I see the destructiveness of it. it, it and I see it the is. way that a lot of people come out the other side scathed physically mentally yeah financially, all these things, you know. yeah for sure for sure um it's it's funny that we, when we talked about the gladiator thing um my coach right was a old one of my first ones my assistant coach was an old marine of old black marine right and um before fight like some somebody's like i'm a gladiator and he goes like ian he was really hardcore he goes like i would not even let you know you're not a fucking gladiator you're a fucking warrior. He goes, gladiators were fucking slaves. You're not a fucking slave. You're a fucking warrior, right? And he always put yeah. that in my head. He always put that in my head, right? And like, Such I don't, it's a great point that I, I don't think a lot of people really understand, you know? And and what you said coming out like scathed, um, even though Sugar Ray Renard is doing commentary and and I don't know what Hitman Herringer is doing in his life, but uh, even though Marv Hagler did recently pass, out of all of them, I think he truly made it because, like, he got out, he got out the game, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, like our our saying in fighting is like, you get in, you get out, right? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately for Muhammad Ali, like, I don't think like he felt like he had a exit strategy, you know? No. And, and that's why his brain just deteriorated, you know, and um, this is a common thing that we that we get brought up like um, in fighting. I got brought up wrestling, which is another combat sport. Right. And then I got into boxing and that's how I got into MMA. So my main discipline is wrestling. My second discipline is is boxing. Right. Um, and in this right coming up from humble beginnings. Right. 
my first wrestling shoes were given to me because I couldn't afford them. Right. So I started this wrestling club to help needy kids and stuff like that. And now we're the top wrestling club in Southern California. Right. Like we, we are putting a lot of kids through college because of that. Right. But also, do I need to necessarily take a fight? Probably not. I got my wrestling club. I have my retirement plan. There's so many guys in the game that do not have a retirement plan, do not know what they're going to do. Um, your prime prime is pretty much like 36, 37 at best, depending yeah. on what your style is, how much damage you took. Um, and I always told my wife too, like, I'm, I want to remember my kids' names in the future. <laughs> so like, yeah. I, 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 if I ever have a glimpse of that, I'm done. I'm done and I'm happy. I'm glad what fighting has done for me. Like I, if it wasn't for fighting, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now or, or have the, or have the fan base of the platform for what I am doing for social injustice or like helping support kids, but you need an extra strategy. And there's a lot of people that don't, you know? And that's why I think Marvin Hagler doing movies in Italy. Like, like that's a dream come true to me because you can eat gelato as big as you want and you can act, you know? So I love it. I absolutely love it. So like, it's pretty uh, sweet. yeah, it's pretty damn sweet. It's pretty damn sweet. It's pretty uh, he's damn a smart awesome. guy, right? And I, I think, and I think he, his thing was like, yeah, don't let the, you know, you take what you need from the industry. Don't let it take from you. It's true. I think the problem is, I mean, going back to, this is me, for, again, from the. Uh-oh. So I believe we lost him. So we're going to pause this. And he's going to come right back, you guys. Lost you for a second. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. Hey. It's okay. It's okay. All right, good. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, so I was just going to say that... Um, yeah, from my perspective, again, this is my amateur psychology, um, but I, I think it does seem like in the case of the Four Kings, the, what is it that makes you a champion? Like, there's a lot of competition out there. What is it that turns you into a, a legend like these four guys? And the reality is, it's like you have something inbuilt. Maybe it's you came from nothing and you just, you have no, no option. You have no backup plan. So you become a champion because you just will keep going. Even when everything else is spent, you see some of those fights and Leonard, like there's nothing left. But he keeps going. Right. But the flip side is when you get to the end of your career, when you should give up and everyone's telling you to give up, you're like, no, I don't give up. I'm a champion. I keep, I keep going. Even when you're 50, you know, Duran was 50. I he was know. scheduled to do another fight, right? I know. And it was only he had, he had a near fatal car crash with his son where he, he died on the operating table. And they had to jumpstart him again. They fixed him up. He's like, right, when's the fight? And then the doctor's like, you're never fighting again. Even to the point where he's having to hold on to me as he's walking around London to use me as a like a human crutch. But he would still be fighting, like very happily still be fighting. And even when oh, I saw man. Tommy Hands, he was like, you know, this is before Marvin passed. He was like, I've got to get it together with Marvin. We've got like we've got to have a rematch. It's time. You know, this guy is long past past <laughs> <laughs> the time when he should be fighting anyone. I, I mean, I wouldn't want to get in a fight with him. I'm sure he would he would decimate me, but still, you know, not Marvin. So I guess it's that, like most people, the part that makes them great is also what won't let them quit. Even yeah. everyone and everything is telling them it's time. For sure. Um, out of all the guys, are, is Roberto Duran and Marvin, are they, are they pretty okay financially as well? Or are they kind of set? I, I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. I think, I think the way that I heard it from other people, I think Leonard is, is like an industry you now. Like I he's mean, very, he, he has, he is. He's, he's like a super superstar, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. He's, so yeah. he's fine. He's set up. For, that's uh, why I didn't bring. That's why I didn't bring his name up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on I that think, part, that's why I didn't bring his name up on that part. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of us need to worry about Ray Leonard. I think he's gonna be okay. Then, as far as I know, with Tommy, I know he did have issues with the IRS, and so did um, Roberto, which we touch on in, in the show. I mean, I think again, you know, they had, they were little street kids who suddenly right. had a lot of money, but also had a big entourage. And we right. just, both of them were very, were known for being very, very generous to a fault where they would just, they, you know, Roberto would, is the kind of guy who would literally give you the shirt off his back and has done, you know, and would, right. if someone goes up to him and says, so, so he's, he, used, he normally has apparently like a queue of people waiting outside his house still 
waiting to try and get some money and with the new scheme like he you know so he's, oh, he's spent many 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 more times he's just a very cool nice guy but it yeah he's not someone who is too worried about like you know his bank balance and then when marvin i think was was of all of them i think he was the one who was most clever and most astute about looking after himself he yep. invested in property yep. he had various things going on you know he he knew he was he was smart and he at the end in that final fight with leonard leonard basically took a uh, he he took a pay cut um and he negotiated for all the advantages so he'd win but marvin negotiated for a massive financial whack where he took money at the gate and he knew it was going to be one of the biggest fights if not the biggest fight of all time and that's smart yeah so he came out and it still apparently winds leonard up if you want to bob bob aaron was saying to to me on the phone he was saying uh if you want to wind ray leonard up just ask him how much money marvin made on that final fight because <laughs> it was much more, <laughs> much more than ray <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. man. but then ray won so you know it's all debatable yeah. But um, yeah, I think it's it's tough. Not many people. I, I'm sure. Like if, if someone started giving me millions of dollars when I was in my twenties, I would have definitely spent it. Oh, all I would have blew it. I would have blew yeah. it. Um, I I um, my first fight for Bellator, I signed as a pro. I was gonna make five and five, so five thousand dollars to show, five thousand dollars to win, right? Um, I ended up losing, but off of sponsorships and everything, I made about like eight grand, eight to ten grand, right? probably the biggest money I ever made just like, and when you really think about it, right. Think about all the training camps you spend months, but truly I, I made all that within 15 minutes, right. Wow. Within wow. 15 minutes. Like a lot of people don't really think about that at all. Right. Um, so with me being a young guy, like 22 making that money, I called my mom and I was like, look, we made it. I'm gonna buy you a house. I'm going to do this and stuff like that. It was fucking 10 grand. It was fucking 10 grand. You would have thought it was like a five, a $5 million purse for crying out loud. You know? So like maybe a young. I'm it. Yeah. That's you know? nice. That's so, nice. You wanted to do that though. You're a good person. No, no for sure. Like I, I'm the one that's like, I, I look, I take care of my family. I take care of people around me, but there's also limits. I always so was also told something good because like I have a good heart too, but like a hey, givers give. Um, but once you get mature, you need to learn your limit on giving, right? Because takers sure. take and they would take everything from you because they have no limits whatsoever, you know? Yeah. So uh, I started learning that lesson later on. And then, uh, and then fortunately my wife is a financial baker. So I pretty much don't see my, uh, I don't see my good hands. I'm in good hands. I don't see my money anymore. I just hand it over like an allowance and, and, and that's it. You know, I, sh- I shouldn't be allowed anywhere near money because I'm so, I'm, so I'm still so financially irresponsible. I have no idea. <laughs> but, I, but yeah, it's true. It's very true. And I, I think, I mean, you know, the reality is most kids in their twenties, if you suddenly gave them millions of dollars or even hundreds of thousands of dollars, first thing you're going to do, you're going to go run out, buy a car, yep. buy everyone a drink, Yep. You know, you just spend that on a bunch of stuff that immediately loses all its value within a, you know, a day. And and you're not going to think about it because, you know, our minds don't work that way. You think, you don't think, great, I just made half a million. You think, I'm going to make half a million every day for the rest of my life. This is just like silly money. Yeah. I remember reading Tyson's autobiography, which is a great read. But I mean, you know, he would be a billionaire by now if he looked out for himself. But he's no, like, sure. he just didn't know. He didn't, it wasn't in his nature, you know, and he no, wasn't advised sure. well. No one looked after him. And talk about somebody like a point he wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And he came full circle and he's kind of getting it all back now with just having smarter people around him. And maybe that's just wisdom with age. You know. Um Matt. He's got his oh, can you hear me? Yep, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's uh he's someone who, yeah, I think with with time and uh with experience comes wisdom and, and it sounds like he's kind of got his head screwed on now, but it's it's tough. It's obviously been a journey. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, Matt, I have one more good question for you, and I'll let you go on your, uh, <laughs> on your vacay, on your vacation. Uh, I wanted to talk about, like, um, so obviously, um, Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard, obviously, they um, they had different backgrounds of growing up, and some might be tougher than the others. And... Um, personality rise now as adults like uh 
every time I see Roberto Duran, he, he looks like he's wearing like a, a golf t-shirt and slacks like a normal casual fucking guy that like you just see down the street. You would never know it's fucking Roberto Duran. You know, yeah. it just looks like he's, he's just, no, he, he dressed. Com- yeah. He dressed comp- like comfy. He just dresses yeah. extremely comfy. That's it. And then when you see Sugar Ray Leonard, he's, Iced out and he's just like he still looks as great as he did when he was younger and like still nice suits. Out. Yep. Like nice suits and everything. But the relationship between them two, like the friendship now that they have is it's pretty amazing, you know, and, and they they had really big fights in between them that were just freaking huge that both changed their lives forever. And um it's it's amazing to see, you know. Um because I'm, as you see in the fight world, like there's some people that try to sell fights, you know, and stuff like that, that, that would cross the line, say some stuff like they were both talking pretty nasty stuff against each other before right. meeting each other. But oh, it's man. pretty. Yeah. But it's pretty awesome to see, like, you just earn that respect between each other because you guys know what you guys put yourself through. You guys know that you guys both one of you guys might have won or lost, but the respect of just going in there between each other. And uh, there's still a beautiful art form within fighting right and i think they really respect each other for it and they have like a beautiful relationship now a friendship i agree (laughs) i agree it's mad isn't it i mean i think the other two who carried on having tensions really were were leonard and Hagler, but yeah the others you know they all connected and it's it's funny i mean i think you know you know much better than i do right because you've been in there but i from, from talking to all these guys it seems to me that it's like no one outside the ring can ever know what it's really like you can be a boxing expert you can go to every fight but if you haven't been in that ring and fought at that level, you have no idea, right? None of us have any idea. And so I, we right. finish off, it's, it's interesting, we finish off kind of in this similar vein, the last episode is just this idea that everything, everything, all the stuff that we're talking about, all the history and all these fighters, it's all great. But actually the only two people who really understand are the two people in that ring. And so I yep. think that's probably what connects Leonard and, and Duran because, um, you know, they're friends now. And they've been through all this and they trash talked and talked all this stuff about each other's wives and did all that, right? They yeah. sold a million tickets and more. Yeah. But actually, at the end of the day, it's, it's about the two of them. And so it's, it's funny because in, in, in the show and also in Leonard's autobiography, he talks about this, that, right, so they'd had this terrible animosity and said all these things. But then actually it was, it was Duran who gave Leonard the key. To, to breaking down Hagler, like he went up to him and he was like, no, no, you can box him and get back in because he'd retired. And then wow. at the end, when Duran had lost everything, lost all his money, all his money, he was broke and he'd, all his money was owed to the IRS and all his, all his friends had disappeared and it was just him on his own. It was Leonard who gave him the final fight, which he didn't need to do. And talking to Teddy Atlas about it, he was like, I, I think there was something in Leonard, like he wondered what it would have been like if the roles had been switched and then maybe he gave that final fight to Duran. Because Duran comes up to Leonard before the fight and he hugs him and he says, thank you, my friend. I needed this. That's amazing. Yeah. You know? yeah. But, but it, it leads to a very different fight. And maybe that's why people say, you know, that that final fight is pretty mediocre because the friendship is so strong. I know. You can't, can't want to kill someone when he loves I know. It's, 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 uh, it's weird, man. Like, it's... Uh... Like I, I, I have a, a Bellator friend down here and uh, his manager hit me up in LA and goes like, Hey, Ian, um, can you work with my guy? Bumbo, he's like, he was pretty up in Bellator at the time. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, what weight class are you again? I'm like, Oh, like I'm like 55. Uh, like I dabbled at 70, but like, I, it's not my weight class, man. Like I, I'm a 55er and he goes, okay, cool. He goes, and then it's the day that he set it up to go train with them. And he calls me one at a time. He goes, you're sure you're not going to 170 anymore. I'm like, no, man, like those boards are just too big. And he goes, okay, great. Because, because he doesn't want to train with people in his own weight class because right. he's scared that you guys might become friends, which I, he goes, I guarantee you, you guys are going to become friends. He doesn't want to fight his friends. Wow. And I was like, and I was like, really? He goes, yeah. And dude, I, I understand it. Like it's, it's, uh, Man, I don't know if I can go to that dark place and just like, I mean, you have to take people out. Like, you know, like it's just, it's a very dark place you have to go to and like for a friend and getting to know them and then getting to know their wives or their, or their, their kids and stuff like that. And like, it's a very hard situation to probably do. So like, you're correct. That's probably why the third fight 
really sucked, honestly. Like it, it just it it was horrible in my opinion <laughs> out of yeah. all of them. Like you know, like it's uh, yeah. But like I'm, but I'm truly happy to see the friendship now. Just the way that they joke each with each other by sitting next to each other. It's it's great, you know. Um, yeah. it's it's uh, and it's a very powerful thing. I met a guy. His name was Steve Cazola. He he finished me in Bellator and. Me and him are like the best friends now. And, and it was really weird because we kind of became friends at weigh-ins because we were super nice. And um, because he moved here to California, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from St. Louis. He's from Chicago. And he comes to me and goes, Ian. And they said, we sat next to each other at the weigh-ins and he bumped me and he goes, you're Ian. Huh? I'm like, yeah, you're Steve. Huh? I'm like, Hey, I heard about a lot about you, man. Like, this is going to be a good fight. He's like, yeah. And he goes, you're from the Midwest. Right. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, this guy did his fucking research. How the fuck did he know? <laughs> like, how did he know? And he goes, yeah, I'm from Chicago. And I'm like, of course he did his research. I did my research. Like, you know, like, and I'm like, oh, no way. I'm like, how are you liking it out here? And we're having a full blown on conversation about like moving out here. We should hang out. And then they're like, all right, you guys are up. You guys are up to weigh in. And we weigh in and we stare in each other's face like, I'm going to kill you. And then yeah. after after the guy's like, okay, he shook my hand. He goes like, oh man, it's gonna be a great fight. Like, hey, I'll see you tomorrow. And I'm like, fuck. It was, I don't know if it's psychological work, but it was fucking weird. It was really weird. Yeah. And then we fought. And then after we're in the back, he goes, Ian. He's like, I really like you, man. I'm like, oh, I really like you too. He's like, it's unfortunate that we had to fight each other. You're a really good guy. I'm like, yeah. And so. Now, later on, every time we see each other, we support each other for fights. We see each other, we give each other a big hug. But it's just, it's just weird. Like, I get it. I, get, I definitely get it. That's beautiful. That's lovely. I mean, it's I, I don't know a beautiful I think that, thing. That's what that's the, that's the beauty of, of MMA, this beauty of fighting, beauty of boxing. There is another side to it. So that's, I suppose I came in as an outsider, a little bit skeptical. You know, I was like, look, I can see, I can see these fights are so exciting, but, 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 you know, it's, it's so damaging and it's so brutalizing, all these things. Yeah. But actually, every single person I spoke to, you know, you included, but all the people along the way, I was surprised. Everyone said the same thing. They were like, look, I've been a promoter all my life. I've been a manager all my life. I've been a fighter all my life. And yeah, I see, I see the, the, the dark side of it as well as the light side. I see everything that in between. And um, yeah, that's what we try to do with the show is show it in the round. Yeah, for sure. Cause I mean, like in this fight world, I I truly has met some of the most beautiful individuals I probably met in the world, you know, and completely have like uh Roberto Duran and the way he did for his country and, and the people he helped out. Like I, I think fighters are the same way, you know. Like I I uh but it's it's just something like dude, I I can't grasp it. It's just something about combat sports that really just uh like, I, I think there's a lot of people, I mean, you're a director and editor that like, it's a lot of people in this world that don't really know who they are and they still have to search. That's when people go through midlife crisis, but there's something mm -hmm. about getting thrown into combat sport that like, you're first to know who you are and who yeah. what you're about because you, because you're looking in the mirror and it's you versus them. There's nobody there to help you. There's nobody there to yeah. help you. Even though you have coaches and team, you have to solve this situation and problems. <laughs> by yourself and i think that's why uh they grow up to be amazing human beings as well you know so yeah 100 it's, it's um i so teddy atlas we got we had the privilege of interviewing him well first time I, I, I spoke to him for an hour and it was great but it was so good i was like no no we've got to do this again we barely scratched the surface and so he invited me to his house i think probably he awesome. thought it was like a top up for like 20 minutes like i was gonna, gonna ask him one more question and, and I, I was there like seven <laughs> Seven hours later, I have one question time to you know, bless him, like until he needed to go to bed. And um, and it was fantastic. But he says something in the show, he kind of becomes almost like a narrator to the whole thing. And he says, the truth comes to you in a lot of different places. Yeah. It comes to you a lot of lot quicker in the ring. And yes. he says it's the express train. And I I you can see that, right? You go in there yes. and then suddenly everything else falls apart, falls away. And it's like, you know, you can't lie to yourself in the ring, it's either there, or it's not there. No, it's totally true. And I love Teddy Atlas. I mean, the people that he trained, I mean, he had Mike Tyson as a baby. Crying out loud, you know? Like, legacy. Yeah, big legacy. Uh, 
amazing corner guy of like quartering people to go fight and everything. Uh, uh, he's all t- one of my all time favorite uh, coaches of all time as well. Um, in the way in the way he breaks stuff down, you know, just like that in life too. The way he screams at his fighters about life protection in the corner is amazing. Is amazing. I love him. He's got the voice of like an Old Testament prophet or something. He's just yeah. like, when he, when he says something, I believe it. Yeah, it's true. It's totally true. So, Matt, that is all the questions and everything we have today. Thank you for truly coming on. Um, So, the King's debut, you take it away. It's showtime. What date? It's showtime. It's this Sunday, which I believe is the 6th. Yep. Um, Now, depending on where you are, I think Central Time, it's like 7 p.m. So, whatever that is for everywhere else. But it's, yeah, it's... I believe the first episode is on Showtime on Sunday, but then they're dropping on their website. I think they all drop. If you want to watch them all and binge, you can watch them all that way, which is what I normally end up doing, finishing off a series in one go. Of in the course. Morning. <laughs> so if, that's, if that's the Yankee chain, then you've got the opportunity to. Good. All right. So watch Showtime. Watch The Kings. It's a great show. Uh, it's going to be an awesome documentary about... It's the first time ever they actually put together all the Kings in one. So uh, definitely go watch it on Showtime. And Matt, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. No, no, it's been a real privilege. Thanks, dude. Really appreciate it. No, thank you. <laughs> no, it was great. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.